Welcome to another episode of the Onward and Upward podcast. This is episode nine of season two. My name is Harry Ozerik. This is our co-host, Ben Larson. And then our guest of the day today, Mark Kraft, the police chief here in Sydney, Montana. Incredibly glad glad that you're with us. Uh, Glad to be here. Thanks. Yeah. Um, As always, please like, follow, and most importantly, share. Uh, We're on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Instagram, TikTok, we're on every major podcast platform you can think of, mm-hmm. from iHeartRadio to Pandora to Amazon Music, Google, Spotify, we're on everything. So if you get a chance, like, follow, share. Again, the point of our podcast is to help people move onward in their daily walk and upward in the relationship with Christ. Um, and that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing sometimes to wake up in the morning and, and make that choice to take another step forward. Um in your daily walk, and uh, it's not always easy to, to continually grow in your relationship with God, but it's a choice that we get to make, um, and we can't do it alone, right? We need to do it together as the body of Christ, and so uh, excited to have another opportunity to share something encouraging, uh, to hear from our police chief, um, to tackle some current events, as well as have a little bit of fun, right? Not too much fun, but a little bit of fun, and so... You always have to have some. Yeah, so that's how we're going to start this morning. Uh, onward and upward, moving onward in daily walk and upward in our relationship with Christ. So we're going to start with some dad jokes. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I have two that I think are really funny. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold off on them for now, um, but I, I printed off some so you guys can just choose what you want. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with this one that, uh, that I just, I just snagged real quick, just caught my eye. Mm-hmm. This is a good one to start off with. Okay, okay so I'm ready. I tell dad jokes, but I have no kids. I'm a full pa. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, um, what do sprinters eat before a race? Nothing. They fast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. That was a bad one. That was a bad one. I read that and it was like, oh, that's so cheesy. It's, it's killing me. I said this one a different time, but what concert costs just 45 cents? 50 Cent featuring Nickelback. <laughs> right? It's like, uh, killing me. Yeah. <laughs> Feel free to jump in here too, Mark, if you have, see one on the list that you I, like. I, I like this one. If an English teacher is convicted of a crime and doesn't complete the sentence, is that a fragment? Oh, gracious. <laughs> well, it's something. That's awesome. You got another one, Ben? After an unsuccessful harvest, why did the farmer decide to try a career in music? Because he had a ton of sick beats. Yeah. All I think about is Dave Riedel right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, Dave Riedel identify, is watching this. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of farmers <laughs> in the area rolling their eyes right now, which is uh, apropos. All right. A drummer had twin girls. You want to know what their names were? And a one and a two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Be, All right. Being that I, uh, I'm a... Amateur chicken farmer. Okay. Uh, I got I got to read this one. I got a hen to regu- regularly count her own eggs. She's a real 
Mathema chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Oh my goodness. Ben, you got one more? Uh, yeah, so I'm just going to grab this one that's top of the sheet here. It's like, I used to work in a shoe recycling shop. It was soul-destroying. Oh, my gracious. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah, soul-destroying? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the list goes on, and what's amazing to me is that there's an, an ever, a never-ending supply of dad jokes, uh, mostly because there's, you know, the world is full of dads who have a canny ability to make a joke out of a lot of things. I was so, going to say, like, it's a superpower in my opinion. Yeah. When us dads are able to come up with a, with a pun... That makes someone laugh. That's right. It's a. It's like uh, I always tell people, if you make yourself laugh, it's a good joke, right? If you make others laugh, it's a great joke, right? As long as you're laughing, that's a good joke, right? I got one more. Unless Mark, do you got? Do you got another nope. one? No. Nope. All right, Go last one. <laughs> do not touch. Must be a terrifying sign to read. For someone that uses Braille. <laughs> it's an oxymoron. I mean, think about that, yeah, right? Yeah. You, you, you reach out. touch. Oh, mean? no. What have I done? Do not touch must yeah, be a terrifying much. sign to read for someone using Braille. Oh, goodness gracious. All right. Enough of the fun. Enough of the fun. Well, we'll still have fun, but yeah, that one just got me. I heard that earlier today. I had to write it out. Do not touch must be a terrifying thing to read in Braille. Oh, goodness. I can only imagine. Um, so uh, cpyu.org is a website that yep. we use consistently. Um, I give it to parents all the time. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but cpyu.org is a, is a resource. It's a Christian-based resource that helps parents connect with youth and the world around their youth. Um, and so they have like a, a current event culture news section. And one of the articles in there um, that I pulled out for us today, it says marijuana use in middle to late teen years may alter brain development. Uh, I thought that was a, uh, I don't know, very pertinent subject mm -hmm. to talk about. Marijuana being used by a lot of our teens here in this community um, and something that I think a lot of it, it gets this this uh, reputation that it's it's a harmless drug it really doesn't doesn't really hurt anybody yeah you probably shouldn't use it but it's who's it hurting right and um, well it's illegal for one for for underage right it is legal right. I think up to half an ounce now in Montana correct um, for those 18 and up yes yeah um, but obviously those under 18, it's, it's illegal, just like alcohol is illegal under 21 and all that stuff. Um, but I, I thought this article was interesting as it speaks directly to not just it being illegal, but the harmful effects it can have. Cause again, I, the, the tone I hear a lot of times from our teenagers and things like that, um, is, well, I mean, is it really that big of a deal? Is marijuana that big of a deal? And, um, well, yeah, it is, you know, um, but this is an interesting article that, that looks at brain development. So the study included 799 participants who had brain scans at age 14 and again at 19. Researchers found that those who started using marijuana tended to have increased thinning in the cerebral cortex, the area of the brain responsible for language, thought, and perception. 
The more marijuana teens used, the more significant the thinning. The regions of the brain most affected were those associated with working memory, inhibition, attention, and emotional regulation. Now think about that, right? If, if, if those four things that just listed there at the end, my working me memory, my inhibition, my attention, and emotional regulation aren't able to function at a high level, how am I going to function? Like that was my first thought, like, okay, so remove those things or, or lessen them in my in myself. I struggle in those four areas consistently over and over again. Like life is going to be tough. Right. How do you how do you uh, mature into a successful adult when those um, those factors that that are so important in in taking, you know, adjusting from adolescence to adulthood and, right. and then successful adulthood totally. when you take those away. Um, so, it's a scary equation. Yeah, and one of the researchers says, uh, you know, by the age of 19, teens who used marijuana showed signs of being unable to stay focused without distraction. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's bad enough if you're um, in maybe a 1940s or 1950s type of culture and uh, society. But we have a society that we live in today that has got all kinds of distractions all the time. In fact, distractions are at our fingertips. Distractions are everywhere. everywhere. And, uh, and there, there's a lot of different things vying for our attention. And so to have that kind of an environment to live in and then not be able to really stay focused, no wonder we have issues uh, finding good employees in some of our, our uh, you know, highly focused uh, job careers. Um, now, having said that, we had talked about um, you know, the ability to focus and, and assimilate a lot of information at the same time. One of the things we talked about in, in a past podcast was gaming. And there, you know, at one time that the thought process was there's, there's nothing good that can come out of online gaming or just gaming in right. general. But one of the things that they, they did find <clears throat> is that, uh, you know, young men and women that, that had spent a lot of time gaming and got really good at it, their decision-making skills and perception and ability to, assimilate that information and, and correctly identify things was improved. Yep. So that's something that our culture has right now that's that's helping some of our youth in, in, in an unintended way, yep. right? It wasn't intended to be that way, yep. but it is helping a little bit. But you saddle a youth that's got that with a bunch of marijuana use, and uh, I think that my guess was that would cancel out a lot of that, that, that focus yeah, ability. It would turn it the exact opposite, right? right? Yeah, like uh, it was an interesting article how when when – Kids who play video games with balance, balance of being outside and mm -hmm. sports and being active and things like that, um, they did see a marketed increase in ability to to focus, to problem solve, and things like that. And so that was that was a really interesting article. But the article preached over and over again: balance. Again. Right, right. Kids that spent hours and hours on end each day doing it, they yeah, saw they, an inverse effect yeah. that actually ended up hurting them in the end. Yeah, a um, burnout of the brain and the yeah. you know, ability to keep things balanced. But, uh, you know, obviously you're in a line of work. Um, let's just, let's just look at, you know, the, the people that you hire that, that are mm. on your team, right? Sure. Um, being able to, to walk into a situation that's chaotic and be able to focus on the right things is a super important skill. Absolutely. Uh, decision-making is, I mean, that's, that is the bread and butter of what policing is, is mm -hmm. to be able to walk into, into that chaos, um, with limited information, uh, assess a situation and make some decisions to, to, to bring that chaos down or, or start to restore order. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so decision-making is huge. Um, not only, um, just rapid decision-making, but 
the ability to, um, and I guess the maturity, the um, to make appropriate decision making, right. common sense, keep your cool. I mean, that's. Um, I, I, I wish I wish I could put this on my uh, mm -hmm. my job descriptions. You know, minimum requirements. You know, age eighteen, U.S. citizen, yeah. driver's license, mm -hmm. common sense. You know, <laughs> right. And, um, so, yeah, those are yeah. Uh, those are those are big deals. So well, this was in some ways a launching point. You know, the marijuana topic. Obviously, this is talking about um, you know potentially medium term, long term effects of use of it. Yeah. But in your line of work here, obviously there's drugs that go through here a lot. There's a lot of people that are are consuming drugs and partaking in, in uh, drugs at varying levels of um, dependency. Mm -hmm. And I know that's it's one of the major things that you guys are dealing with as a department. Correct. I'm assuming. Uh, and uh, part of that, obviously, there's we can talk about alcohol. Um, if we have time later on, or maybe mm -hmm. that would be another, another topic for another day. But, um, that's an obvious challenge for you guys is, is dealing with people that are, have consumed too much alcohol, but mm -hmm. talk a little bit if you, if you can, I know some, you certainly can't, uh, bring up details, but, uh, any, any interactions that you can point to, um, whether it's yourself or anybody else in your department related to marijuana use that, um, would be helpful for us to know about, mm -hmm. um, what you guys deal with, you know, how do you approach somebody that's obviously way off in, in uh, way too uh, influenced by marijuana in the case of, you know, any kind of breaking of law incident? Mm -hmm. I think the, uh, with the uh, legalization of recreational marijuana, mm -hmm. um, the um, permissiveness uh, right. towards marijuana use um, uh, that has kind of permeated our, our culture, I think the single... And, and again, I'm narrowing this down specifically to marijuana use. I think sure. the single most important um, um, negative factor in a, in, in a public safety setting really would be uh, impaired driving. Mm. Um, it absolutely alters uh, your ability to um, perceive time, distance, speed. Um, your reaction times are different. It, it is correct, and I've heard this argument before, that you know, it does not affect you like alcohol. It, you, you do not um, become drunk on marijuana. Mm -hmm. That certainly may be true. Um, I, I don't argue that. But it does have um, significant uh, impact on those uh, skills, abilities, per ability. perceptions mm -hmm. uh, that are necessary to safely operate, you know, a, a vehicle or any sort of equipment. Yeah. Um, and because everybody drives, we're, we're a culture of, of cars and, sure. and moving and traveling. Um, and then you add uh, marijuana to the equation, uh, it's, it's a recipe for, for yeah. you know, some real problems. And that's where uh, we as a department, um, you know, we, we obviously we, we don't make the laws. Um, uh, we have our own personal opinions about mm -hmm. uh, laws and and you know, whether something gets legalized or not, but that gets put, put aside yeah. uh, when the legislators make their decision and, and change a law. Our job is then to react and try to anticipate problems, you know, that may come from that. Yeah. One of the things that we as a department has been, have been doing has, um, has been to uh, focus on training our officers to recognize uh, signs and symptoms of mm -hmm. impaired driving yeah. under marijuana and then also other other drugs because it is illegal to drive under the influence of marijuana it, even though it's it illegal to to have half an ounce or less in transporting your vehicle in a closed container correct correct um 
it's illegal to consume it and drive in Co- any amount. Correct. Well, it, it, it's illegal to be, to be operating it under the influence. Yeah. And that uh, in Montana, that uh, level is um, five nanograms, five nanograms uh, per, per deciliter of blood. And is there like a blood that's, system similar to alcohol for that to be measured? Or how do you measure the... That's, that's typically um, measured through a, a blood test. Okay. Uh, so if, if an officer um, makes an arrest on somebody for uh, DUI, uh, under marijuana, you know, when they suspect some sort of uh, drug uh, being on board and, and the cause of the impairment, then um, they'll get a, a blood sample from that person, okay. send it to the lab, and, and then later on we find out what that is. But the 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 there's huge differences in detecting an impairment, you know, between a um, a drugged driver mm. and. Right and, and alcohol. Alcohol. I mean, it's obvious. It's yeah, it's odor. You see it. You hear it. I mean, um, with with uh, drugs, including marijuana, it's they're much more subtle. I was going to say a little and, subtler. And so it, it does uh, require some training, and and so that's something that we've been focusing on as mm. a department to try to um, ensure. Again, it's it's not because we dislike marijuana use. Yeah. It's it's all about public safety and, and yeah, trying right. to keep the motor in public, uh, yeah. motor in public safe. So. Well, and what I find so interesting about this article is just um, one of the hardest things I have found with with young people in general is helping them or getting them to a place where they care about the future them. You know what I'm saying? And I, I have to say that for myself. When I was a teenager, it was it was very hard for me to to think, much less make decisions about my future self. Make decisions now that would have a positive effect for the future self. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I took away from this article, too, is it, it doesn't only affect them now, but if they're degrading their working memory, inhibition, attention, and emotional regulation, and they continue it, and, and this article is, is saying and showing that they're seeing a decline in those things the more and more they use it, the longer and longer they use it, that means their future self at 25, 30, I mean, that, that life is going into a train wreck, even if they don't move on to another drug and they just stay there, they're looking at some serious issues and frustration. Um, but it's so hard, I feel like, sometimes to get a teenager to see that mm-hmm. beyond the now. Like, like it's yeah, it's impairing you now. It's illegal now. It's it, all that now. But, man, if you could just unlock that just for a moment and go, think about what this is going to be like in 10 years. 15-year-old, you're using marijuana right now. In 10 years, if you continue this, this is what your life's going to look like. And for a kid to like actually grasp, grasp what that looks like and all these opportunities they're going to miss because of their inability to have emotional regulation. I mean, just that. If I didn't have emotional regulation, regulation, man, I struggle to have any relationship ever with anyone that's healthy. But so easily, Absolutely. right, they get into these relationships, they blow up. Well, it's because of these factors. Mm-hmm. This person mm-hmm. said this or this or this. No, 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 no. And really what it comes down to is they've been smoking weed. And I've heard it. It's been cropping. And that's why I brought it up at the beginning. It's been cropping up more and more. I keep hearing this. Yeah. Me smoking weed is not the issue, right? It's like it's a drug. It's clearly impairing your ability, but it's not just impairing you now. It's weakening your cognitive ability. And the more and more you do it, it's weakening it. For your future self just like a, a moral sin right of sure of pornography or or um 
anger, uh, lust, all these things, right? Greed end up, yeah, right now it's affecting you. But man, if you continue on this road, the, the effect, the big bomb that's waiting you isn't right now. It's that five, 10 year mark down the road mm-hmm. where all of it ends up just culminating in this disaster. It's like, oh, and you see the train wreck. You're like, oh, like, see it, please. Like, I sometimes I struggle with that of trying to get someone to that place of, can you just see where this is going to lead you and let that impact even a little bit your choices now? Because if it did, you wouldn't be making those choices, right? And that's what, to me, this article is really bringing out. Yeah, it's affecting them now, but man, it's going to affect you really hard later when life comes at you way harder you know responsibilities go way responsibilities of 15 year old versus a 30 year old are not even close Mm -hmm, not even close for for the majority yeah add a spouse and kids and a career you know and if you're able to have any of those things because you've been using marijuana and you're not able to regulate your emotions or inhibitions and attention right it's like well the other concern i think that that i've over the, the years of, of being in private industry in the last 10, 15 years, mm. um, one of the things that I have noticed, and it's it's not empirical evidence, it's just my observation, but it seems like those that are partaking in marijuana more often than not have less uh, drive and ambition. Yeah. So Well, and that's and I'm that's your own your observations, right. but those are the observations that have been have been in place or, or, or seen by numerous people, mm-hmm. you know. Going back to the '60s and '70s, you right? Know, I mean, um, well there, There's there's <laughs> the stereotypical doper, um, yeah. you know, brings to mind a um, kind of a couch potato kind of kind of person yep. who you know, you know, is more interested in in a bag of Doritos and right. and playing video games yeah. and and not really doing anything, um, you know really productive then right uh, and that stereotype has come about because i mean um there there is some element of truth to that sure sure um one of the things that that uh i think is uh and i I wish i could have find could have found the uh the right uh references and things but uh there's a gentleman out of i believe he was in new york uh, i believe at one time you and once again this could be wrong but i think at one time either he or somebody that he, he knows really well was um, part of the New York Times, and anyways, he wrote a book recently about um, just the fact that uh, you know your, your grandpa and grandma's marijuana is not the marijuana of today. Mm. THC levels are a lot higher, and the effects that is having on people is uh, is different now. Well, you're and, seeing uh, a lot of synthetic marijuana. Well, too. they get those things, you know, mm-hmm. the delivery mechanisms, and the and the, the, certainly no regulation. There's a part of you know with the legalization, there is some sense of standardization, but not really. I mean. Um, there's no way to, to know exactly what your THC level is going to be on, on mm-hmm. this this uh, purchase versus another purchase mm-hmm. or another delivery method. And uh, one of the things that, that he was looking at is data related to early use and maybe uh, extensive use of marijuana in the early adolescence uh, leading to multiple problems related to mental health. Mm-hmm. So schizophrenia, bipolar, uh, obviously depression is, becomes an issue. And and that's, that's all relative in my mind to the fact that you're using a chemical to give yourself a false high or a false perception, right? You're not perceiving reality. It's, it's a chemical re, uh, inducement of that, that perception yep. and it's changing your, your brain chemistry. Well, you can't screw around with brain chemistry and not 
eventually have a, a lot, you know, especially if you're doing it consistently, impacting uh, your thought patterns and how your yeah. brain works. And, uh, and unfortunately for some uh, that are predisposed to things like both bipolar and schizophrenia and other things, you're, you're pushing yourself into some yeah. of those, those categories. Now, um, the other thing that's interesting is most people think, well, you take marijuana, you get relaxed and less Takes aggressive yeah. and you're, you're just, you're just happy. But what they're finding is some individuals are going into full on rage mm -hmm. and it's a different reaction. And part of it they think is, is due to the higher levels of THC, mm -hmm. the dosing effect. Uh, you know, everybody's a little different. Uh, I know of people that, that have said, Hey, you know, I, I tried to take, uh, you know, something that's, that's supposed to help, uh, either with, uh, mitigation of pain or maybe a, a, a sleep aid. And I get the opposite reaction. Well, that's just cause it, you know, not everybody's exactly the same. Our biochemistry within our bodies is not the same. And so to think that, uh, we're not going to start seeing some things in our society related to marijuana use, uh, increase because of our permissibility of it, you yeah. know, we're, we're, being more permissive on it and uh and that's what the you know the citizens voted on so you know it is what it is but gentlemen like you are having to face the consequences of that on a day-to-day -day basis and uh yeah. and i know that that is not always easy it's not always a something that uh that you can put in a nice easy response box either every situation is different yeah. so yeah. i would be curious to know uh, you mentioned earlier that you know identifying an inebriated person that's that's you know had too much alcohol is different than marijuana or, you mm -hmm. know, I don't know how much of fentanyl or, or, uh, some of these other drugs that you're seeing over here, uh, the prescription abuse, those kind of things. I'm hoping not very much. Um, sounds like in the Midwest, it's a real big problem. People dying of fentanyl abuse quite a bit, yeah, but, um, things, yeah. opioids, but, um, how do you train your guys to be able to pick up the differences? Well, um, there's a number of, of, trainings that we go to there's uh one in particular um again relating to impaired driving mm -hmm. uh it's called a ride advanced roadside impaired driver enforcement um, that's that's one of our go-to uh courses usually for our officers that have have about a year and a half two years of experience mm -hmm. um obviously um when we get a, a new officer uh, they can't run um they they need to to crawl and then walk yep. um, right. and and become more proficient and experienced and so we don't throw these some of these more advanced courses at them right away but um, by a year and a half two years on um, they've they're mastering some of the skills that that they need to starting out and then some of these more mm. uh, detailed and and subtle um, matters they can they can start doing so a ride's a big one um, um, and it just there's there's going to be a again because this is i mean it's ubiquitous right through through society um they're encountering it daily and in their interactions with the people with people mm -hmm. it may not um lead to an arrest or or it may not be in a driving situation like mm -hmm. i was talking about it just may be any other number of police matters sure but all right i had a conversation with that person um yeah, they may have told me that they were, you know, had smoked marijuana earlier, right. and then they had this problem, and, and we're here talking with them, and and I saw these kind of clues. Uh, so a lot of it is is uh, is just experience. Yeah, um, normal observations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna segue a little bit over yeah. um, to uh, this is the other, um, I guess, uh, 
current interesting event. yeah current event interesting things going on i, I was uh, choose, uh, a particular blog um, that i like to read and caught this um <laughs> this title it says the unlivable city so uh I thought it would be interesting to, to bring up some things that are going on in, in other municipalities across mm-hmm. our nation that uh, fortunately in city Montana, we don't have to necessarily deal with, but um, I do want to talk a little bit, uh, use this as a launching pad to talk about mm-hmm. um, how you as the uh, chief of police, as well as uh, just your entire department views, uh, you know, your job in, in Sydney. So with that, let me just uh, jump right into this and we're not necessarily beating up on California, but it seems like it's an easy target these days. So <laughs> people are fleeing California in general and San Francisco in particular, in droves. As to San Francisco, the fundamental problem is lawlessness, Mm -hmm. which means not just violent crime, which the city has in abundance, but a breakdown in the fundamental norms of civilization that make urban living possible. The main problem is that San Francisco's far-left city administration has decided not to prosecute theft. The result, naturally, is an epidemic of theft. Thus, Target, for example, is now closing its San Francisco stores at 6 p.m. Target told KPIX5 the decision to adjust its store hours in San Francisco was related to theft with a spokesperson confirming far, excuse me, for more than a month, we've been experiencing a significant and alarming rise in theft and security incidents at our San Francisco stores, similar to reports from other retailers in the area. And all because the DA won't... Well, yeah, I think I think the overall the, the political leadership of that city has decided that even though a police department might respond to a theft and, and make an arrest, they're not going to prosecute them and they just let them go, which, you know, doesn't take very long for a police department to realize, well, I'm going through the work of arresting somebody and putting myself at risk in the in the interaction and confrontation of somebody that's, that's arrest you know, that's uh, yeah. engaging in theft. And yet three hours later, they're back on the street and and seem to be not being you know, prosecuted. Um, the beauty of Sydney, Montana, and in a lot large parts, I really should say that the vast majority of the United States is very supportive of police uh, in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the fact that you guys are there to keep us safe and uh, address threats as they come up. And uh, I think for the most part, you're going to get solid, uh, solid support in Sydney uh, mm-hmm. um, um, from just about everybody. Uh, you know, Police departments make mistakes, individuals make mistakes, but, you know, that's everybody. And Absolutely. so the, the, the vast uh, majority of police interactions across this country are, are solid and good. Yep. And, and I would in, even say are necessary for a civilized uh, society. So mm. obviously, you know, cities like San Francisco are taking one tack. Uh, they're just not enforcing certain laws. Obviously, there's consequences to that for those that uh, are living in those cities. Um, you guys probably have a different philosophy. Um, talk a little bit about... What you guys bring to the table and and your your overall pursuit of your job? Sure. Well, the I think the one of the points to to be had here is that the policing and is just one part of the, the whole criminal justice picture mm-hmm. and how that is integral integral integral. Mm-hmm. Is that the right word? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, to you know maintaining the fabric of society. Right. Yeah. Um, and so when if police do the job. You know they they're doing one part of the job. That's right now, yeah. now if they don't do it, then there's the breakdown there. Um, if if prosecution isn't doing their job, there's a breakdown there. If if the judicial side of it is uh, not doing their job, it's a breakdown there. If corrections and rehabilitation, so all of these have to work together. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, with uh, the, the the mindset of uh, some, specifically like in in mm-hmm. uh, uh, 
California, San Francisco, they're they're viewing that. Um, uh, I think they're they're misidentifying what their role is. Yeah. It's in, in, in root causes. Right. Instead mm -hmm. of you know um, blaming uh, the police for problems, you know they're they're not looking for solutions. They're not mm -hmm. trying to to create. You know the police aren't creating the problem. They're trying to stem it. Yeah. And. Um, I think you get, you have prosecutors that are looking at the police like, you know, we're, the, the police are the problem. They're picking on these, you know, these um, poor people who um, are suffering from mental illness mm -hmm. or have um, uh, drug addiction or, mm -hmm. you know, are in, in dire poverty. Sure. Um, those all may be factors um, to why somebody does something. And, and certainly you want to try to address those, yeah. those root, uh, root causes. Um, but at the same time, um, you cannot escape personal accountability. Yeah. And that's, uh, I, I just feel like that's a, uh, a part of our societal fabric that's just totally deteriorating yeah. is, is personal accountability. Well, and we who all, is holding someone accountable, right? Like, right. they're not, like, I, more and more I'm seeing people yeah. make the choice to not, like, they don't want, they don't see value in accountability. Right. It's a... Call it controlling. Call it um, telling me what to do. Calling it, I don't need you. I'm independent. All you know, all these words that we try to spin as being positive. Uh, you know, I talk to our youth all the time. You should crave accountability. You should desire accountability. First to your savior, right? But second to the people he's put around you that are wise, that are mature. Like I tell you, like I'm accountable to Pastor Paul. I'm accounted accountable to my elder board. I'm accountable to my wife. I'm accountable to my kids. They don't tell me what to do, but if I make a mistake, it's definitely going to come down on them in some way, shape, or form. You know, Absolutely. if I if I tank my life, I'm taking them with me. Not intentionally, but that's just reality. Like I'm accountable to a lot of people that helps me make smart choices because it's not just going to affect me. And I think that's what we look at in the negative way, look at accountability as control. When in reality, it's a framework to help you make a wise choice and help you have the simple attitude of humility. You can't have good, healthy accountability without humility, without sitting there and going, I don't know everything and I will probably make a bad choice. I need others around that help gauge the choices I make, like together, collectively, right? Um, and like you said, that is, I see that deteriorating in a, in a massive way. And to hit on that point, mm -hmm. uh, kind of, it goes back to my my personal um, life verse, mm -hmm. and it's it's Proverbs three five through six. Yeah. You know, uh, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto right. thine own understanding. Yeah. Um, acknowledge Him, and you know, in, in all thy ways, and, and He'll yeah. direct your paths. That's and, right. Um, we we. That, that humility, however you want to call it, yeah. um, um, lack of self-importance, whatever yeah. you want to, whatever you want to call it, um, that that's that's huge. And I, I think in our society where it's um, it's lights, camera, action, right. everybody can be a star. Yep. Everybody, no no offense, everybody can have a podcast. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Yep. Um, social media is at our fingertips. Yep. We can broadcast. Uh, you know, live stream, yeah. anything and everything to Get everybody. I think, I think it 
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think it gives people this false sense that, um, I mean, uh, of self-importance. Yeah, yeah. It's all about me. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and I think we've, we've uh, as a society, I think we've put too much value, or at least we've, we've fed into the perception that there's value in being famous. Mm -hmm. right. And what good is it being famous if, if you're, your marriage has fallen apart or you ha don't have a good relationship with your kids or you don't yeah. have good friends just because you're known by a lot of people in a yeah. very, in the most shallowest possible way yeah. doesn't mean that that's more valuable than, uh, giving yourself over to the work that uh, God has for you to do. And, um, and being known by him, number yeah. one, number two, being known Preaching, very, very yeah. well by those that are, that you are living with on a, on a, you know, daily, weekly basis. You know, yeah. you know, yeah. it's yeah. not fair to me to be un, unkind and uh and damaging towards harry in yeah. our relationship as friends even if i'm you know being famous uh because of some you know some other activity i'm doing yeah. it's, it's there's there's more value there's more importance on our normal everyday relationships than being yeah. famous yeah you got that hat right behind you there it says famous yeah. enough i have a shirt that says yeah. the same thing and i love wearing it whether the hat or the shirt because it always gets someone looking at me like their first thought is saying, Are, so you're saying you're famous? <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. If I'm known by my creator, right. it's all the fame I need. Yeah. And I say that, I like, I, so I, I identified with that hat, the, the company's Art of Homage. They're a Christian group that, mm -hmm. that makes apparel that just is really good. That's, this is one of them. Um, I create for the glory of God alone, right? Um, they're a great company. Um, and I saw that I identified that with that right away because that's part of my testimonies. I struggled with pride mm -hmm. a lot growing up and and being seen, being heard, not being ignored. I, I always hated being alone, all those kind of things, right? right? And so I identify with this a lot because it's a simple truth. If if God knows me, if I'm in a relationship with him and he knows me to my my most inner being, my my deepest fiber, he knows me. It shouldn't that be enough? Do I need Ben to, to know me more than my Savior knows me, right? right. So that, that word, famous enough, right, being known by God, that, that's all the notoriety I need. And after that, it's all gravy, man. <laughs> it's all gravy. It's mm -hmm. just a, that whatever notoriety you get, in, uh, you know, um, it's just fruit that from, your, from your labor, from your service and things like that, not something to be chased or attain, right? Um, but it can it can be a really hard thing when you start getting that recognition. You start getting that, um, oh, there's a thousand people watched our video or or whatever. It it can be very easy to chase that squirrel down the hole, um, or that rabbit down the hole, um, because who doesn't like being liked? Sure. We all like being liked, yeah. right? But again, <laughs> at what level is that? You know, right? The motivation. You know, what it, are you chasing? Is it are you chasing self? It, right. Mm -hmm. Or you're chasing dying to self, right? And that's that's a very unpopular thing, but one that, like you were saying, has a far greater outcome on society and your personal life. Like simply put, your own personal life is going to benefit hugely when we die to ourselves, when we seek to serve, we seek to love and have compassion. But from a broader perspective, as you were touching on it, it's going to help our society really heal and grow yeah, right. when we are humble when we die to self we are putting ourselves first we're putting those around us first it doesn't mean we're ignoring ourselves we had a earlier podcast that we talked about that right it's it's not about ignoring self right it's about where's the priority mm -hmm. 
And if I'm putting myself at the front line every single time, then guess what? Yeah, you might be caring about yourself, but you're going to be alone doing it. Because you won't have anyone around you because you'll have ignored them and pushed them away. And you won't have any of that accountability that you that we all desperately need. Mm-hmm. We need the body of Christ around us, the, the fellow Christians carrying us when, when we can't carry ourselves. John Stumble, the president of the Christian Missionary Alliance, said at one point at a life conference, like six years ago now, um, he said, um, it's okay to lean on someone else's faith when you're too weary to lean on your own, right? And that idea, like that, that's a beautiful picture of the body. Because there's going to be times where my faith wanes, where, where I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm, I'm stricken, my you know, wife died or kid died. or You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. just at the lowest of lows, that's, the, that's why God has the body of Christ. That's why he designed it that way is so that others can come alongside you and say, you, you know he loves you. And we're going to love you like he loves you to the best of our ability, right? Yeah. And that encouragement is, is, is the, um, I mean, I think it's the, the reason why corporate worship mm. is, is Absolutely. part of God's word. Is, yes. Is you may be weary. You may yeah. be leaning on somebody else's faith. Yeah. Um, but you have no idea who's leaning on yours. Yeah. And Absolutely. That, can, that can be, uh, when you sit back and think about that, like, Again, very humbling, yeah. and and maybe it helps instill a little bit of um, responsibility. Mm-hmm. That, sure, you know what? I have a responsibility to my fellow believers, um, just in my you know small church. Totally. You know, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to get dressed. I yeah. Don't take a shower. <laughs> I'm driving to church. Yeah. You know, it's. Um, but when when you're, again, that that's that's all looking inward. When yeah. you start looking outward, mm-hmm. like. I wonder how they're doing today. I'll go to church and I'll find out. Yeah. You know. Yep. Um, and then somebody you weren't even thinking about sees you at church, and that just seeing you there is an encouragement to them. Yeah. Again, you just never know. Yeah. Where that impact's going to be. One I love things, that you said that. Yeah, and one yeah. of the things that obviously we're called to as Christians is to to go into that that deeper place of servanthood and yeah. looking to um, be a benefit to to others around us, not just our fellow believers, but everybody. I think so. Going back real quick, I'm I'm uh, convicted that I did not say who the author was of this this blog post. So that mm-hmm. was uh, John Hinderocker with Powerline Blog. Um, so For the San wanna, Francisco topic. Yep. Yeah, so mm-hmm. if you want to look at that, but uh, one of the things that I think is 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 interesting is we got two different. Well, there's multiple, but I think there's two major competing philosophies of how to view life um, as an individual in our society and uh, and with in respect to other citizens. Mm-hmm. And I think you nailed it. Is that in some of these other municipalities, they're 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 misdiagnosing the real mm-hmm. issue. They're not really dealing with the real issues, and I'm afraid that part of the reason that that's happening is that they're more interested in virtue signaling and looking like they're <laughs> solving a problem than actually solving the problem. Yeah, and, it's a very, it's a very so hip that, phrase that you gets use back there, to that idea way. that I need to be mm-hmm. famous, I need to be liked, I need to be well yeah. respected on a broad scale, yeah. but not where it really means that my fellow yeah. citizens, my fellow uh, city uh, citizens are are going to be benefiting yeah. based on how I'm you know performing my duties in my job and uh, you know social media tries yeah. to wrap a lot of that up so obviously time. you know you, you know it's very clear to me that you're bringing a, a servant hearts perspective to your job 
and uh, serving uh, the community here in Sydney. Uh, I would I would only guess that uh, you know that's part of your leadership development and the leadership mm-hmm. perspective for your entire department. Uh, and mm-hmm. and it'd be interesting to know you know how do you how do you pursue um, having a cohesive uh, um, team that that works well together uh, mm-hmm. knowing that there's differences everybody brings their own little perspective to to the 100%. team right and you guys in some ways are are in uh, in you know we we know as christians we're, we're in a daily battle spiritually but you guys are in some cases spilling that battle over into the physical realm and uh, having to deal with people so how do you approach that as, as a leader of your team here in sydney mm. um how do you approach um the impact of your faith on, on your responsibilities and how you approach that sure i think uh to, to, to sum up my leadership style mm-hmm. is lead by example. Sure. And um, I think that's that spills over in in virtually all aspects of, of my life, whether it's as a Christian man, mm-hmm. whether it's the the, um, the the head of my family, uh, whether it's as the chief of police for the Sydney mm-hmm. Police Department. Um, if, if you don't, um, I guess, establish that credibility um, with whoever you're leading, mm-hmm. you're not going to lead very far. Right. Um, um, and that incredible, that, that credibility is built off of observations that, all right, his values are the same as my values. He, mm-hmm. he, he did this. That's exactly how I would do it. He, uh, um, he demonstrating caring. I mean, sure. That's obviously a, a, a big deal. Um, that's probably one of the, the, the biggest things um, at the police department. We have a very young group of guys. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, just showing that, hey, I care about you. Yeah, I'm not out there anymore in uniform, uh, you know, doing this, the things that you guys are doing every Road day. Roadside stops yep. and all that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but I care about you guys. Um, and I care about you because... Uh, and I show that you know through, uh, I'm going to get you as much training as possible that you sure. can be as good at your job as you possibly can. I'm going to give you the the best equipment that we can reasonably afford, mm-hmm. um, and you're going to get the support from me yeah. when uh, things don't maybe uh, always you know they don't go well uh, yeah. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to have, I will support you. Um, uh, obviously something goes really bad, you know, people have to be held accountable, but yeah, nonetheless, sure. uh, they're, they're going to uh, get my support. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think servant leadership is, is, a, is a part of that. You had mentioned, or you'd asked in a previous question, you know, kind of where uh, do we see our, ourselves, I guess our role mm-hmm. uh, in the community. And, and I would say um, this is something that was told to me when I, you know, came into policing, and you've probably heard about it—the the sheepdog and the and the um, the wolves. The wolves are the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Law enforcement, we're the sheepdogs. We sure. we keep the wolves away. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like, okay, that's that's neat. Yep, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I matured uh, as a police officer and and just um, grew as a man. Um, Our role is to is is as guardians of mm. of our community. Um, we're we're keeping those bad elements out. We're um, and, and trying to to make sure that everybody else mm-hmm. can um, 
live as uh, peaceful and uh, productive a life as you know as they can yeah. uh, without a bunch of these um, uh, unpleasant instances. Sure. So I guess I guess guardianship is the mm. is the the, the biggest. I guess it would be our main policing philosophy. I yeah. guess is, is the point that I'm getting at. I love that word. That's a that's a unique word. I don't know if I've ever heard that word used. You know, it's always uh, protect and serve and things like that. I, I really, I really like that word guardian. You're, you're the guardian of of. Yeah, and I think and... I think sometimes, um, and this can be to the detriment of law enforcement. This can be misperceptions by the mm-hmm. public. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes um, law enforcement. You know, it could be individuals, could be agencies. They look at it um, themselves more as a warrior type sure. mentality. Well, that's hard some, to approach every situation as a warrior. Exactly, mm-hmm. um, and I think um, sometimes you know that um, maybe the the public wants you know the officer friendly each and every time. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not always appropriate in every circumstance yeah. either. And so I think the guardian uh, really embodies both um, the fact that. Hey, we you know we can deal with these really unpleasant situations, harsh, yeah. harsh um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, situations, and at the same time, you know, um, we can shift gears and have a, a softer touch. That like, hey, we're part of the community. We're people here. We yeah. and we're here to to help you, to protect you, to to, to serve you. Um, and uh, so I, I think that's. Uh, been a good guiding principle for for us. Yeah, I love that. Uh, well, and as we transition um, into into a few other different topics, um, I would like you just kind of share with us. I I'm, I've been kind of dying to know just who who is Mark Kraft? Where are you from? How long have you been here? Um, I'd love to hear in short, kind of how did you come to faith in Christ? How did that uh, share that journey a little bit, as well as you know when you recognized Him as your Savior and surrendered your life to Him. Um, and then we got some other fun questions for you after that. But sure, we'd sure. really like to get to know that that party as well. Well, um, I was born and raised in, in Billings. Um, graduated from Billings Senior High, and um, you know I never had a, a real strong interest in law enforcement. I never thought that that was going to be mm-hmm. my career field. In mm-hmm. fact, um, from the time I was um, you know probably 10, 12 years old, I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. Um, well, you are dealing you're, with a different grade of animals now. I was going to say, so. you're, you're <laughs> yeah. a vet of some sort. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, just uh, never really thought that we would uh, end up uh, here. But yeah, after uh, after high school, you know, um, didn't have a whole lot of, uh, mm-hmm. had some ideas of where my life was going to sure. go, and yeah. it did not go how I planned. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you just... you ended up working uh, some different jobs, um, gained a lot of experience doing a lot of different things, and um, eventually, uh, a few years, well, I guess it would be about five years after high school, ended up meeting my um, wife, um, got married in 2003, and um, decided, you know what, I really need to you know, finish my education. I, mm-hmm. I went off to college for a couple of years, and like I said, it didn't quite work out, mm-hmm. and uh Ended up getting it again, pursued that that veterinary uh, dream, and mm-hmm. um, ended up getting a degree from MSU Billings in biology and, and chemistry, and and uh, but life you know throws curve life happens curveballs yep. at you, and, <laughs> and we ended yeah. up getting pregnant with our first child, mm-hmm. and 
and um, just some life circumstances were such that you know what um, another four years of, of higher education and and massive student debt you right. know, did not sound terribly appealing and, yeah and so kind of shifted gears my wife had worked uh, as a clerk for the Billings Police Department while I was going to school and mm -hmm. she's like well what about what about law enforcement and, and um, so I started down that path and and uh, in 2010 uh, ended up getting a job here uh, in Sydney as, as a patrol officer. Had no intention of staying in Sydney. I mean, yeah, we, it was a pit stop. Yep, mm -hmm. yep. And uh, but as you say, life happens, and uh, <laughs> it it's taken me. <laughs> it took me till I was about 37 years old to figure out. You know what? It's not your plan that matters. That's right. Mm. Uh, and. Uh, you know, I, I, I grew up um, uh, going to a Catholic church, mm -hmm. um, I was confirmed, uh, mm -hmm. but just from a standpoint of faith, it, it, I, I guess it never really stuck. I think, mm -hmm. I mean, I understood um, some things. I um, maybe had some real basic beliefs, you know, mm -hmm. that, you know, Jesus as the Son of God, um, but n not that personal relationship. Sure. And um, so for, for many years, um, I, we just were, we just didn't have, you know, uh, much of a faith life. Mm -hmm. And um, when my daughter was, my oldest daughter was time for kindergarten, mm -hmm. um, she intellectually was ready to, to, to jump into school. Mm -hmm. um, but physically, she's... You know, smaller kid, and, and she, you know, she still needed nap time and mm -hmm. and those things, and and we were just real concerned about um, the kindergarten and like all day, every sure. day kindergarten. Yeah. And so we ended up finding an alternative at Liberty Christian School here in town, mm -hmm. and I guess it would have been about a year or so into that. Um, you know, start, I, I think I'd been feeling kind of like I. Uh, had a responsibility that I wasn't living up to as, as the spiritual leader of my family. Sure. Um, didn't really know exactly what. Yeah, just that a feeling. Meant, just yeah. a feeling. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and then, you know, kids can be incredibly convicting. You know. <laughs> absolutely. Hey, back to that accountability yeah. thing. Yeah. They know how to point stuff out oh, sometimes in the and gentlest that, way. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, it was it basically is my daughter saying, "Hey, can we go to church sometimes?" Mm -hmm. And I said. Yeah, yeah, because she's of course she's going to this Christian school. Yeah, and, sure. And uh, getting those, starting to get those influences, mm -hmm. and and thank God that she, you know, that mm -hmm. she did, and um, started going to to uh, church service a couple times, and boy, you know, I, I guess I was just at a point in my in my life that I was ready to to hear, mm -hmm. you know, the message, and. Um, um, that I, I guess I had reached a level of maturity that I, I knew that I didn't know everything anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a helpful thing to know. Right. <laughs> and I think one or two messages, um, you know, I, I, Pastor Bacchus, mm -hmm. I go to Bible Baptist Church, sure, Pastor yep. Bacchus, at, at the life. end gives the, you know, an invitation, you know, um, you know, if, if you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? Mm -hmm. Do you know? I answered, no, I don't. I really don't. Do you want to know? Mm. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And um, 
and and it's such a simple equation yeah. to to receive salvation it's not easy to live up to it yeah. mm-hmm. um that's that's the again the, the heart hard of the podcast onward and upward that is yeah. such a hard thing that mm-hmm. we we want to encourage everyone for but absolutely and uh, you know i heard the message a couple times um mm-hmm. ended up ended up meeting with uh with mike um one-on-one and kind of told him this is you know what i'm going through right now yeah. and and you know made a profession of faith and and he's been just mm-hmm. a tremendous mentor uh, to yeah. me. We we do a, a one-on-one Bible study now. We're going on like five years now doing wow. that um, on Tuesday nights, which is just great and just shows the faithfulness of, mm-hmm. of his ministry. Sure, yeah. he has you know willing to put that time in to, yeah. to just you know one person. Yeah, and uh, you know it, it came at a, a again it comes back to. Um, God's plan. You don't know all of God's plan. <laughs> That's right. Um, don't ever yeah. think that you're going to yeah. know all of God's plan. Yeah. Just know that He has a plan. He is always good, and yeah. you can you can place your life in His hands, and it's yeah. in it's in it's good hands. Good hands. Mm-hmm. And um, about a year, about a year after, um, you know, coming to know Christ and, and surrendering my life mm-hmm. to Him. My wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, mm-hmm. um, 36 years old, young, and uh, you know that that turned our life upside down. Um, and uh, the thing is, is that her and I, you know, she's cancer free now, um, and That's uh, good. you know, but went through chemotherapy and surgery, and radiation, and more surgeries, and it was just a very long, arduous process. But we, mm-hmm. we both her and I look at that as we don't necessarily look at it as a bad time in our life. Mm. I think it, it really, um, steeled our, you know, uh, resolve, our resolve, mm-hmm. our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we truly did put our lives in God's hands yeah. and, um, and just how God worked through our life. Mm. Uh, it, it was so apparent, yeah. you know, his handiwork that it, it, it almost made it easier then right. you know, to surrender yet more. Yeah. And um, so th- that really, you know, the, God knew that I was going to need him mm. and uh, during that time. And, and he came into my life at, at the, you know, at, at just the right time. And, mm. um, you know, now it's just a, a matter of, as you're saying, onward and upward. Yeah. You know, that's that's the, the hard work that we yeah, um, mortal men have mm-hmm. to deal with until, yeah. you know, we're called heaven so that's right wow thank you for sharing that that's i I, personally i'm like a testimony junkie in some ways i love hearing people's faith stories of how they came to that place of Mm. of full surrender to him and saying my life is yours take it do what you will i'm i'm with you all the way and that's such a hard it, it is it's it's a such a charged choice um it's it's one choice it's one step but it's such a big powerful step that sometimes it, people kind of shy away from that right i've had sure. multiple different people that um yeah, that all sounds really good i i just not willing to give up all this right right and it's just i i love hearing those those stories like you were just sharing where you're at this place going i'm giving up all this for you here we go mm-hmm. um and just god's yeah god's plan is the way he works and how he came alongside you and then this this hard trial, very hard trial, and 
um, you guys depending on him. Such such a beautiful beautiful testimony. Saint, thank you so much for sharing that. That's uh, man. Uh, um, so my big question that I always come away with on on the on the backside of of a testimony is then how do you see what you went through and this faith that you have? How do you see it interwork and intertwined with what you do on a daily basis? So for you, that's the police chief, um, as well as a dad and and uh, and a husband. Um, how do you see your faith interwoven? In, in your daily walk, this onward and upward philosophy, right? How do you see it working its way out? Well, again, I, I think it comes back to trying to lead by example. Mm. Um, you know, you can... Um, I think there's going to be a significant difference between um, a, a person who um, doesn't have that relationship with God, uh, maybe a good person, um, sure. you know, doesn't doesn't break the laws is is a good person and they can lead and they can lead by example but i think there's there's some real intangible qualities that come from um, a, a person with a strong faith life uh, in a leadership position and i guess it really i think maybe it's the it's credibility it's i i don't know what it, mm-hmm. exactly it is um may, maybe it's um authenticity mm-hmm. i think um, well that's what i was just going to bring up the what jumped to my mind is that you know and jesus spoke this quite a bit uh <coughs> during his ministry and that is that you've got uh the law that was that was established for mm-hmm. for hundreds of years before jesus ever showed up and mm-hmm. and uh quite a bit of his teaching was well this is what the law says this is what i say yeah it's not just about what you do in your actions that's yeah. good but it's about the heart behind that mm, following loss. Right. The, it's the drive, the, in, the inner understanding of um, what it's like to be um, walking in um, authenticity and yeah. purity in the sense of, of doing yeah. the right thing. And obviously in your line of work, um, I'm sure you know just adhering to the law is good, but if you can have a, a, a department full of police officers that are truly submitted to the best of the best, uh, that they can do from a from a internal perspective, meaning they're going to keep themselves as pure as possible. They're they're not going to be trying to to skirt the issues. Maybe illegal, but they're doing something that's getting you're getting away with something that's that's illegal, but still is is scratching more, the itch that doesn't need to be scratched. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, um, I think that overall perspective of um, yeah. virtue coming out of you and uh, your decision making whether there's a law there for it or not, you're being yeah. virtuous is, is certainly uh, got to be a good thing in your line yeah. of work. And, and I think, I think having, um, being open about uh, the fact that, that you are a person of faith mm-hmm. is nothing to be, mm-hmm. uh, to be shy of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously I, in my position, official position, I, I can't, um, you know, proselytize or, Sure. Uh, whatnot. Yep. yep. But um, I can certainly make it known that you know uh, this is my faith. These are the things that I believe in. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe in, in one true God and, and Jesus as the as the Son of God and mm-hmm. came to Earth in man form and, and mm-hmm. died for our sins. I can they they can know that those are the things mm-hmm. that I believe. Yeah. Um, I don't have to speak it very often. Yep. Uh, if at all. But again, if I can live out um, as somebody that uh, that's a good example that I want to yeah. follow, um, then 
I, I think God will work in in their life. Yeah. Now, I, I know that um, as Christians, we we can't always just rely on. I guess, uh, you know, evangelism through example. Yep. You know, we, we, we do need to speak mm-hmm. um, uh, the truth of the gospel to people. Yeah. Um, in my line of work, it's, you know, um, I, I have to be a little careful on that. But yep. when... Yeah, I mean, uh, you're in a position of legal authority, which yep. which is brings a different dynamic to that yeah. uh, in your official capacity when you're doing things that are... As a chief of police, you know, I'm yeah, sure right. that uh, wisdom would dictate that you say th- things and do things a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would just speak to that is that um, I, I think in the in the Christian walk, we, we spend a little bit, I, I believe, uh, and maybe this is just my perspective, that sometimes we spend a little bit too much time talking about evangelism in the sense of speaking words mm-hmm. and telling the gospel, which is good. I mean, there, there's absolutely yeah. a, a need to be doing that, but... There's tremendous uh, value when you are a known person to be a follower of Christ, of letting your uh, your obedience to Him and how you yeah. live your life be your evangelism. Right. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. And I was going to say even more than doing good things, but how do you react when you yeah. make a wrong decision? Right. Right. Like I think that from a testimony standpoint of this living testimony, as I live life, am I exhibiting Christ in all that I do? Um, when I make a mistake, how do I act? And in what posture do I take? One of defensiveness, one of I'm still right, one of bending the truth a little bit so that I can skirt by, things like that. I think that's a um, a very powerful testimony. But like you said, finding those, those avenues and opportunities where someone is inquiring, I think that's, I mean, not think I know, that's part of God's design of this living testimony, right? Mm-hmm. Romans 12, the living sacrifice. Um, of worship to him is it's going to cause people to question it's going to cause people to take notice like something's different there right and when they approach you do you feel like you have more of an opportunity like if someone approaches you about your faith have an opportunity to to speak into that and stuff like that that or absolutely um you know there there are occasions when uh, i mean police work at times we we yeah we we can see some Mm -hmm. some we actually see evil, yeah. you know, or the results of front lines. evil. Yeah. Um, um, see some really um, hard things to see mm-hmm. that um, just really hit a person deep down. And, yeah. and so there are times when opportunities present themselves. Um, and that's why I, I, I felt really, um, I felt it was very important for um, this police department under my administration to, to start a chaplain program. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, police departments our size typically don't have that, mm-hmm. and um, we're very blessed to have, um, you know, the the two men that we have um, mm. serving. Um, I, I think they're just tr- tremendous examples of, of uh, Christian men, and um, and that helps uh, that helps me because again, you're talk, kind of talking mm-hmm. about the sometimes the line that I have to walk, mm-hmm. um, where I'd love to be able to to expound further on this, sure. this uh, p- point of faith, yeah. but maybe I'm not the, the, the person to do mm-hmm. that um, and having, having well, and that's that no there. less of a, that's no less of an action either, right? Like uh, I use the analogy, right? Bringing someone to faith is not a moment. It's a series of moments, right? And you might be number 22 on that timeline of moments, yeah. right? And so 
I personally have really appreciated that you've made that choice. And obviously, Paul, being the senior pastor here and someone I uh, have uh, the utmost appreciation for and, and respect for um, as my senior pastor, um, being a chaplain with you, it, it, I loved that move. I had, I, for me, I was like, wow, that's such an amazing choice that you made. I, I highly respect it in so many ways because it does present they can speak directly on something that maybe you can't. But to me, really, internally, is like that really everything that they share is is you, you're attached. And I don't mean that in a prideful way, but 100% like being intentional and purposeful with, with what you do and how you do it to bring about the best outcomes you can. Um, just previous comment you made about the law and how Jesus came, right? He said, I came to not abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, right? And this analogy I've brought up at different times, right? Using the law to fix yourself is like seeing, looking in a mirror, spinach in your teeth. Instead of going and getting a toothpick, you grab the mirror off the wall and start picking your teeth with it. Like you just don't do that Mm. that, because it's not helpful. The law isn't there to fix you, right? The law is to help help show and restore your your perception of what is reality and to show you like we're missing the mark here then it's the work of the holy spirit and god it's the work of the christians around you to restore you to bring you back to to health and healing um it's not the law's job it's not the mirror's job Mm -hmm. to pick that spinach out of your teeth it's simply there to show you and and that i kind of use that same picture with the with the police force like like you guys are upholding the law, but you you also get the opportunity to, to like build into these lives in those interactions that you have to face that evil. I thought about that too. Of like, as a Christian, we know it's not the person; it's the sin that we're fighting. Right? This human was was created by the same God that created me. They're no lesser of a person than I am. They're doing evil acts. They're consumed by sin, by darkness. Right. Um, but that's got to be such a hard thing at times, you know. Being a pastor, I deal with a lot of a lot of people and a lot of different things, a lot of different issues. I'm typically not on what I would call the front lines as far as like urgent care, like this situation happened, and I'm a first responder. A lot of times, I'm I'm a secondary responder. There's some first responding times I've had that have been very very difficult and and hard. Um, not to say the other stuff isn't hard and difficult, but it's it's a unique thing that I was thinking about too. Of how do you prepare your officers for that frontline first responder confront evil moment? Because um, we've been blessed. We we've had Daniel here attending our church sure. consistently. We've had Ray McKellar in the past. Um, Zach Summerfeld, who's with the state troopers. Um, attends here we just had the immense pleasure of having multiple different law enforcement individuals and more i'm sure that i'm, yep. I'm forgetting um well, volunteer firemen and, and yep. so on um being a part of our body um and my heart does go out i know daniel had a had a hard one i think last year um and my heart goes out to that first responding like oh man just gut-wrenching moment where they have to stay strong um and just curious how do you as the police chief, how do you seek to prepare them um, for those moments? Well, I think I think uh, it's a combination of things. First off, um, really try to work on um, instilling the values. Mm-hmm. Um, not only our our organ- personal, our organizational values, mm-hmm. but um, values 
uh, as a law enforcement officer, officer that um, this is this is a choice that you are making, mm-hmm. and because you make this choice, this is what you mm-hmm. have have to you gotta face. Mm-hmm. Up, you know, uh, yeah, you have to face. You have to live up to. Um, can you do that? Mm-hmm. Because you're going to be under scrutiny all the time. Yeah, yeah. you're going to be challenged all the time. Can can you can you handle it? Mm-hmm. And and combine that with training, actual you know police training, yeah. uh, whether it's um, firearms, defensive tactics, driving, mm-hmm. ethics, constitutional law, uh, any of those things. Um, but does that any can any of that really prepare you? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, sometimes some things like some stress inoculation training can mm-hmm. can help um, a person recognize the signs when it's coming on and right. combat it. Yep. How mm-hmm. how do how do I control myself? Yeah. Sure. Um, so that I can control the situation. Mm-hmm. Some of those things can help, but um, there are some things that we you really can't prepare for. Um, you, you know. Um, the little boy that drowned in the canal mm-hmm. last year. Um, that was that was a, a really tough one for um, um, one of my officers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then year prior to that, um, the homicide of Kylie Hines, mm-hmm. uh, the two year old or two month old baby, mm-hmm. uh, at the hands of her mother. Um, that was incredibly impactful yeah. for a number of of our officers. I remember at that scene. I was a Saturday morning, and I got called from dispatch. I didn't know that it was a homicide yet. I just knew that there, an officer had taken a baby to the hospital, um, child abuse situation, mm-hmm. it, was, it was bad. And I got ready, uh, the, the, the crime scene actually wasn't far from where I was living. Mm-hmm. Got ready, got in my vehicle, um, had gotten another call by this time from dispatch that the baby is, was, was gone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, I knew that my officers were back at the scene, um, and I drove up to them, and I told them, "This is now a homicide." Mm. I said, "Boys, this is as real as it gets. Yeah. Um, I, I need you guys to give me your A game. Can yeah. can you do that? I know mm-hmm. this is tough. I know this is, but we have got to do this right. right. Swallow hard. And yeah. Step up can, to the can plate. Can you do it? And I got confident looks from them and affirmations that, yep, we can do this. And, uh, yeah, was there fallout emotionally that took, you know, a long time for, for people to, to process and deal with afterwards? Yeah. But I can, I'm very proud of how um, those officers, you know, responded in that mm-hmm. moment. And uh, mm-hmm. can you prepare them? Uh, we, we do, you do the best you can with the tools that you have, mm-hmm. but... Um, you never, you never know what's coming down the road yeah. next. So. Well, That's one of the things, you know, that yeah. I obviously your actions of, of, you know, adding a couple of chaplains is something that you're doing. It's, it's maybe not proactive in the sense of preparing officers, but it is making it well known to them that there's a resource available yeah. to help them in processing difficult situations. So in some sense, I would hope that that would give them a little bit more confidence in knowing that, Hey, this is going to be difficult, yeah. but I don't have to face this and the the subsequent yeah. fallout from this 100%. by myself. Right, and uh, and that's got to be somewhat reassuring to uh, to the the young officers that are on your on your staff. That's a that's a great point. I, I think both as men and then even more as police officers, you know, we, um, you know, we want to you know give off that I'm I'm strong. I'm sure. Yeah, I can handle this. Uh, mm-hmm. 
and uh, um, and we don't talk about things. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't need to talk about our feelings. We just well, um, I think having the chaplains and, and going through that process, you know, we um, we brought in um, you know counselors sure. and, and made it clear that it is not it is not anything to be ashamed of to, yeah. to need to talk you. about your feelings and and to to process yep. something horrific like this. It does not make you yep. less of a man, less of a police officer. Yeah, um, I would argue it actually makes you a more effective police officer because absolutely. the next interaction that you have, you don't have a whole bunch of baggage. Yep. Uh, you're, you're coming yep. to do it with, uh, with still a, what I would hope would be a, a balanced and, yeah. and good, but in some ways experienced perspective into mm-hmm. that next next uh, interaction because we know what's coming, and that's yeah. that's yeah. an unfortunate part of our society and in the fallen world is your your job is never done. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and to surround yourself with the right resources, and that's what I see you, you talking about and doing, and and love that just as Ben was saying, like part of the proactiveness isn't just being ready to confront the situation, but also having people ready for when a bad situation happens and they've got now someone to go talk to like Paul or Mike as chaplains. Um, yeah, just being on the front lines, it, um, experience is sometimes the greatest teacher, but experience can also be one of the greatest evils, one of the hardest things to, to process and conquer. And so having that back to that accountability, having humility, like, uh, what's the first step? Admitting that that I have an issue or a problem, mm-hmm. or right? I mean, that's it, it. I make no joke of it. It is one of the hardest things in life is to say I'm wrong or I I need help or I have this issue I'm dealing with. Um, and it doesn't make you wrong having an issue. It's just simply you've got an issue, right? Mm-hmm. That you, <laughs> understandable sure. in so many cases. Um, but so many times we do, we try to grit our teeth and say we can handle it and get through it. And then it ends up having this huge tsunami effect through the rest of our life. Um, so the other thing that I'm, I'm hoping is going to happen and it's, it's already happening is this, mm-hmm. this, uh, this idea that, you know, you've got, uh, policemen on, on staff that are facing difficult things that they've got to help process, but it's not like that's the only potential avenue where they can be thrown into uh, right. a, a stressful slash you know, devastating situation. We all have things that happen in our daily walk in our yep. daily lives, you know, lose, mm-hmm. lose somebody we love or, you know, you know, those things pop up and, uh, and things can be difficult and, you know, police officers are no different off duty. Sure. Things have happened. And so Absolutely. my hope is that, uh, you know, them working through things that are difficult in work has, has given them an appreciation for the, the importance of working through those things that happen in their private life as totally. well, totally. uh, to keep them centered, keep them, less distracted with, uh, you know, a more solid, you know, family life and home life is only going to allow them to do their job better. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So speaking of that, one of the things that's on, on, uh, the, the list of what we were mm-hmm. wanting to talk about is just the impact of COVID, the craziness that's happened mm-hmm. in the last, uh, you know, over, over Almost a year exhausted now. about talking yeah, about so it. Yeah. So we don't, we but don't we gotta ask it. <laughs> you know, it's obviously changed a little bit about how you guys interact. Yeah. I know that, uh, I had an interaction, uh, when I was still in my different job in Fairview with, uh, one of the gentlemen that was on the police force there, he did a great job, but you know, he, I was <laughs> running a cleaner really, really late at night. And of course they, they do a good job of checking in on, on uh, late night activities in some of their, their, uh, areas in, in town. So kudos to them. I think they were doing good police work, but it noticed he'd pulled up and he was wondering what the heck's going on. And so I had an interaction with him. Well, I want to shake his hand. Of course, we're right in the middle of the summer, last mm-hmm. summer COVID stuff. And he said, no, I can't shake your hand. And he, of course he, he had a mask on. So I think he had a mask on, but anyways, that interaction was different. Are we, are we past that now? How do you, how do you approaching the interaction with mm-hmm. the public and, uh, 
you know, is there anything that, that is uh, maybe something that you guys learned in your department yeah. uh, going forward that is a value that came out of COVID? Right. Mm-hmm. right. Um, yeah. Uh, as, as far as, as far as I'm concerned, our operating procedures are pretty back much to back normal. to normal. That's good. Um, and uh, the guys are uh, very appreciative of that. I was going to say, huzzah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we, uh, of, of course, you know, COVID, we didn't really know what, what we were you know, dealing with early on. And, mm-hmm. and so, uh, you know, there's, you know, the lockdown was in place. Of course, you know, we all, you know, worked through that. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough. Um, I, I'm not going to pat myself on the back because I don't think I had any sort of forth, forethought. But I I at least recognize, like, um, you know what? I think people are starting to buy masks. And I think people are buying gloves and, you know, sanitizer. Yeah. And so um, I was fortunate enough to... Um, get out there and, and get some of those uh, equipment those important purchased, things, yeah, um, before they got all used up. Right, mm-hmm. and and so we had some of those supplies in in place, and and then we set some operating procedures to to minimize impacts. And um, I, I think it I think it went off fairly smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. Uh, looking at our numbers for um, twenty twenty, and. Um, it was the highest, um, the, the the single highest year of reported offenses mm-hmm. um, uh, to the police department, which uh, that's including you know that's crazy um, the oil boom. Um, so wow. fewer arrests, um, obviously we're taking less people to jail. Yeah. Um, fewer total calls because the, the the guys weren't making as many discretionary traffic stops and stuff mm-hmm. just to try to minimize mm-hmm. contacts. Um, but I think everybody being home now, you know, um, I, I, I guess I, I can't say that I necessarily saw a, a real significant spike in domestic violence. That was a, a concern, but I don't know that we really saw that materialize. Well, that's um, good to hear because I know that was a Montana-wide, that was a big concern. And they were seeing some, some uptick in domestic abuse cases and things yeah. like that. So I was pretty curious if our area, Richland County, Sydney area. Yeah, not on the domestic side. Unfortunately, okay. though, uh, we did see an uptick in, in um, uh, sex offenses. Mm. And um, so that was, I, I, again, I don't know if one caused the other. Yeah. Um, but uh, we did we did see that. And that's a big strain mm. um, on our department because those require um, ones, the experienced staff handling those investigations. Yeah. Uh, and they're very time consuming. Yeah. So when when you get an uptick in that, um, it it really puts a strain on on our investigators. Yeah. And uh, so that was that was uh, kind of tough to, to yeah. work through. Those are one um, of the most scarring situations for anybody involved in it, as well right. as trying to deal with it can be tough. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think for the most part, um, you know, we, we had a few uh, cases of of COVID. Uh, you know, in the department, mm-hmm. um, we, you know, it, we modified schedules as, as needed. People yeah. uh, quarantined as they should. Mm-hmm. You didn't yeah. pass around a lollipop and let everybody. No, no. Yeah, like, like, all right, yeah, yeah. you're going to get it. We're just going to, we're just going to get it done. <laughs> yeah, no, none of that. But uh, one of the things that came up. Came Would have been a rough that, 14 days yeah, exactly. for Sydney. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we did run into some, uh, some situations where, an officer, you know, maybe made a felony arrest or something mm-hmm. where um, one night 
uh, next morning, he's like, yeah, I don't feel very good. Goes and gets tested. Boom. Now he's, yeah. he's quarantined. Mm-hmm. And, and so now he has this whole investigation that he needs to get written up, reports in and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, criminal justice system is not going to wait two weeks for him to get out of yeah. quarantine. So how does he get access to our, our records Systems. management system yeah. to, to get his reports done? Because right. I can't write it for him. Yep. And the other officers can't write it for him. You know, he's, he's got to do that himself. And so, um, could he do a video deposition? You know, I, I, there's probably different ways of skinning that cat. I, I don't know exactly. Um, but you guys have obviously come up with some solutions. Though. Yeah. One of the things that um, I guess in the last five years, uh, we we put mobile computers in our cars. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that's you know relatively new. Uh, we, we just used, utilized one of one of our mobile computers. They're not the best. They're not. They don't have exactly the same program as but what we do in the station. But he could get yeah. he could get the nitty gritty stuff done. But what that exposed was that our command staff and our investigators they don't have those computers. Yeah. Um, and so what happens when one of them, right, um, you know, gets exposed? Um, That's only or, in the patrol cars. Right. You have those yeah, computers. Just, just, just mm-hmm. the patrol cars. Mm-hmm. And um, so then I started seeing, uh, I started getting emails from the Montana Board of Crime Control um, like, hey, we have coronavirus uh, funds uh, available. For I think it was up to $50,000 wow. is what the grants were uh, um, to help in, in some way to mitigate. Um, impacts of, of coronavirus yeah. how how i don't know how this is going to sure. help you and so i thought you know what remote work capabilities we, yeah. we are, it was very limited for us so many of mm. us had to come to the station we had to come into right. the office to access to, to, the database yeah. to, to get paperwork yeah. done and i said that's that's going to be kind of our achilles heel and so um never written a grant of that size before mm-hmm. um just little little baby grants right um but got some help from from people who had some experience and and sent it off and and uh, came back boom yep here you go you, wow. you, you got it so it's been a little bit of a process um, you know getting them and and getting them um, we're just starting it's just starting to, to convert over to the these new computers yeah. uh, replacing the computers that were in the cars because mm-hmm. they were starting to get a little aged themselves yeah. too and um, so that was that was a, a that was a good thing that came yeah. out of out of that um for people that don't know how percentage for a for a typical patrolman who's who's out on the streets um what what percentage of their job is at in action as i would call it out of out of the office what percentage of it is paperwork just for people listening to get an idea because i think sometimes we watch too many movies right (laughs) and we think they're just crime fighters out there all day right patrolling the nitty gritty nitty gritty streets and And uh, yeah, I, I would say that for every one minute of of um, action out mm-hmm. on the street, actually responding to a call, making an arrest, something like that, there's probably five minutes of okay. paperwork. Um, so yeah. there's uh, there's there's a lot, yeah. and a lot of it is liability. I mean, we gotta yeah. um, make sure that the the city and the police department are, are protected, that 100%. they're protected, yeah. um, that the Reporting is a huge piece person's of rights you, are, are right. um, protected. So yeah, well, that's yeah, well, that's not, why I bring it up is is like a huge piece of your job is is following through. It's not. I think some people get kind of flippant with with police work that 
well, how much do you guys really do? You're out there, okay, you made three arrests a day. Like, how hard is that? How much work? It's like you, the following through and the reporting and the recording and the Absolutely. making sure the right facts have been taken down. Um, and again, the compassion for the person that is at fault that you're working with and stuff like that, it, that's not an easy job to do. Right. And it is time-consuming. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, you know, we're just one part of the, that puzzle. Yeah. And if, if, if we're not doing you know that the, the full spectrum of our job it including the reporting and specifically yeah. the reporting as i as i told officers when um when i was a field training officer as a patrol sergeant and and trained new officers i said outside of your your actual response and this is of course when we're in the office i mm -hmm. said what you're doing right now here at this keyboard is yeah. this is the next most important thing that you right. do right because this is what is going to be read you know, six months, a year, two, three years down the line right. when this case is, is finally being, right. you know, tried or going to court or there's yeah. a plea agreement being worked out. It's affecting uh, someone's life in the end. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, well, and you really are in a position where the effectiveness of your recording and documentation of things can impact whether somebody who has been, uh, you know, been the victim of a crime is given justice absolutely as well as you you want to make sure that uh, you're you're metering out justice accordingly yeah. and correctly to Fairly, those that are yeah. the offender because you don't want the last thing we want to see is, is people put away that either number one maybe don't um, you know are wrongfully you know uh, apprehended that those yeah. kind of things happen probably not as as often here but also you want to make sure that they're the effectiveness as, as you mentioned you guys are just one piece of that justice system yeah. so the better you do your piece, it sets up the rest of the exactly. justice system to do a good job on their piece as the well. The gateway, exactly. almost. And exactly. uh, if if that isn't done properly, there's in some ways uh, those other downstream parts of the justice system may not be able to do their job their job as as much as they'd like to uh, exactly. be able to do it. So. Right. Absolutely. Well, I've been dying to ask uh, dying to ask you this question, but what what do you see as the main issue of our of our community specifically, right? So every community has their own uh, identity, culture, sense of um, who they are, um, which brings with it its own unique struggles and things mm -hmm. like that. For Sydney, Montana, having been here for how long has it been 11 now? 11 years. 11 years. So I've been here for six. You've been here for mm, close to 15. 16, yeah. 16, mm -hmm. yeah. I thought it was, that was a pretty good guess. Yeah, it was good. Um, what do you see as kind of the the main issue or the or the thing that you see as really what you're combating on a, on a very regular basis because um, that's going to lead me into my next question of how can we help how can we you know work mm -hmm. into that but really what 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 do you see as the main obviously we know as christians root cause of sin darkness evil mm -hmm. right and 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 pressing away from that and pressing into god and who he is and what he has for us but in general for our community what do you see as a paramount issue well i think i think it comes it's the it's substance abuse mm. and whether it's alcohol or uh, marijuana or or illicit other illicit drugs yeah. uh, prescription drug use um and it's not unique to us mm -hmm. this is yeah this is everywhere a pervasive now. issue it, mm -hmm. it is an epidemic um you know, the epidemic is different in different places. You know, we, we hear a lot in the news about the opioid epidemic. Mm -hmm. um, in our neck of the woods, it's methamphetamine. Yeah. It, that, that's, that's the scourge of, of Sydney, mm -hmm. uh, is in, my, in my opinion. But uh, substance abuse in general. Mm -hmm. um, 
there's a, and these are cultural things. Uh, right. I don't know that there's there's any program or policing that is is going to fix it. Um, yeah. We we have an obligation to to try yeah. because um, we may save you know one or two or ten people. Mm-hmm. We, you never know. Um, but it absolutely is worth worth the effort to, yeah. to try. Is it fair to say that you guys are are somewhat in a position because that is the main issue? Um, you're you're really uh, a response team dealing with the consequences of that. Yeah. And there's multiple consequences of that. Uh, obviously, taking a, an impaired driver off the road uh, might have the straight yeah. up consequence or the positive thing of, of having yeah. that impaired driver not get in a wreck that takes life of somebody else that you know is an innocent, right. innocent bystander, right? But that's what I was going to ask too. Is like just along that is your job being proactive? I mean, in a lot of ways, just like what you're saying, a lot of your responsibility is reactive where do you see the proactive is there a piece of of the proactive that policing can accomplish um or is that someone else's job really and that's not passing the buck right that's not in my mind that's not negative at all because like you said there's Mm -hmm. different pieces to this puzzle and everyone has their responsibility and 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 uh part to play um where do you see those two I think uh, I, I, I certainly think that there's an element um, of proactive work that the, uh, the police can do mm-hmm. uh, in response to that as far as from a, like a prevention standpoint. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there, we've there's been a number of different programs that have been tried. Uh, Dare, I, I know, yeah, I, sure. you know, I grew up in that same um, Dare mm-hmm. era. Um, you know, the the evidence is is not real encouraging as to the effectiveness of that. Um, but it doesn't mean it wasn't a you know wasn't worth a try. Yeah. Um, I, I think um, probably one of the best. Um, Ways of being proactive is is to ensure that the police department is is uh, echoing a consistent message with other government entity health mm-hmm. departments. Um, you know, for example, um, I think we're both um, involved with uh, you know our uh, drug free yeah mm-hmm. drug free communities yep. um, program there because um, police isn't you know we're not going to fix it you know ourselves yep. you know the um, Prevention specialists—they're not going to fix yeah. it themselves. Uh, youth ministries—they're not going to fix it themselves. But right. if if we can have a, a cohesive message that is echoed, um, so you know, uh, maybe a youth hears something from his youth pastor, and then hears something at school from his health teacher, who then uh, who also hears something from a police officer giving a presentation yeah. to. Um, like oh that was a consistent message across the board mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, I think that's I think that's probably the best that we can do I, yeah. I, I don't I don't know I, I wish I had better so answers. speak to uh, the value and, and maybe there's not a lot in, in this particular um, issue but the value of deterrence and your you know your department's consistency in in enforcing the law and making sure that people aren't just walking into a San Francisco store and, and yeah. you know yeah, stealing something. I mean, is there value in deterrence, or is that re- well, yeah, not the, really at play here? The law is kind of like uh, there's consequences, right? So owning up to the consequences, like you said, part of that, the reason the consequences there is to go 
do you really want to go to jail for 10 years? Mm-hmm. Is, is what you did really worth this consequence mm-hmm. as a way of, of deterring? That is a, it's a good question. Yeah, I, I absolutely think deterrence has um, has a, a part to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish that communities like San Francisco, you know, saw that. Um, right. that that's part of that's part of the criminal justice system is is finally the you know the punishment is 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 just that is punishment. Mm-hmm. Part of it is to serve as a deterrent. Mm-hmm. Part of it's to punish. Part mm-hmm. of it is then to give an opportunity to rehabilitate. But mm-hmm. um, that's really not the police police right. the role of police. Yeah, um, that's, that's to be the say. deterrent. It's right. that's the role of of the, the prosecutor's office yep. and, mm-hmm. and the courts mm-hmm. and and corrections. Um, what's important for us is to be consistent in how we apply that. Mm-hmm. Now it can it you know that's easy to say, uh, right. but in the, in reality, like uh, what's going on in San Francisco, um, how long can police officers continue to arrest you know shoplifters because it is having that's having a, an impact on those business small businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing their livelihood walk out the door. Officers trying to do something, arresting people, they're out the door, um, you know, to the, from the jail, you know, within minutes, and then they're never prosecuted again, and then they see that same person reoffending. Mm-hmm. Um, how long does it take for that officer to get downtrodden and, and you know what? Discouraged? Yeah, d- what's discouraged. the point? Yeah. Um, so, it, uh, I, I guess the the most important thing is is that that all those pieces are working together. Yeah. Um, so you know, and I, it's not that not that we don't have um, I would say good candidates every election season. From I, I think everybody that's on the ballot, at least uh, in in our neck of the woods, is is somebody that's pro law enforcement and doing a good job of justice. So I'm not really concerned about that. But but the role of the average citizen in voting in the right people in the right uh, positions, especially if it's a political position, uh, that are in one sense a part of the justice uh, system that you guys have to be teammates with. Uh, what I hear you saying, that's that's important to have a cohesive justice system. Absolutely. Not just you as the uh, the on-street enforcer mm-hmm. and, and those that are there, you know, applying the law and, and doing a good job of that, you have to have every piece of that justice system yeah. um, in place for that deterrence really to be yeah. of value. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, when uh, police start stepping outside of their role of, of simply uh, enforcing the law mm-hmm. and, and trying to do it in the, in the most objective um, uh, way possible, mm-hmm. is that's when misconduct starts creeping in. Right. Yeah. When when the police start trying to act, um, for lack of a better term, as judge, jury, and executioner. Right, yeah, the superhero um, complex type of thing. Right, yeah. uh, whether it's... Partly I because wanna... they don't trust the backside of the justice system to, exactly, to do, exactly. do what they need to do, and so they feel mm-hmm. it's up to them to do it. Right, yeah. Yeah. because if I don't do something, I'm going to be dealing with the situation yep, again, again in an hour or yep. a day or and two days. you compromise on your obligation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's a very um, thin wire to, to walk mm-hmm. at times, um, and why one of, um, why ethics is such a, an important part mm-hmm. of, of police training, yeah. um, and why I think, as in my role as a, as a, a leader, um, it's so important for me to, to set that proper example, yeah. sure. that I'm not, I'm not compromising um, my values, my ethics, my faith in any way, shape, or form, yeah. you know, um, and 
you know, maybe maybe the officers when they're faced with yeah. the situation, they might think, and eh, what would Mark do? Yeah. 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 And if if that happens one time, yeah. And they choose the right decision, then you uh, feel uh, very then, accomplished. Then yeah. I've I've been successful. Yeah. You've Heck done yeah. your job. Yeah. Well, and I think that when it comes down to it, what you're just talking about there, right? Trusting the people that have been entrusted with keeping you safe. And that um, definitely is, uh, you know, obviously in our country, a highly debated thing. Can we trust police and things like that? And honestly, that was one of my motivations of wanting to bring you on here is I know you. Uh, um, Paul knows you even more. Right? I've talked with Paul and, and several others. Um, and just so appreciate the, the choices and, and the ways that you've gone about trying to up, uphold not only the law, but a society that, that can look at itself and be proud of, of the trajectory that it's on, the direction it's going. Sure. Um, and I'm always, I'm, so I'm a really active person, right? So I'm always looking for the answer, like, okay, so what's my part to play? What's the other side of this equation? The police are on this side of the equation, accomplishing them. And so that's why I appreciated you sharing um, on kind of what, what can be done and things like that. Because like like you brought up our um, DFC meeting that's at 4 o'clock today, right? Um, so in a little bit, um, mm-hmm. like that is it. That's a huge thing. I think we have to have a consistent message, like you said, and be willing, be willing to say it consistently. So it's a consistent message between the different groups, the different agencies within the society, the community, the culture, but also consistently saying it too. Like if we only say once a year, drugs are bad, don't do drugs, a kid automatically internalizes and goes, well, it must be not that important right? because we never talk about it, right? And not to say that you want to talk about it every single day or something like that, but this idea of like how we live and what we choose today is going to have a massive effect on our future yeah. and could, one decision could affect 10 years of life really fast. Um, and I've heard several different accounts of, of you guys, um, you guys being the police, um, working with teenagers in our community and, and, and having that, that moment of looking at a teen and going, you're at a crossroads, make a choice. We, you, um, I say it to my own kids many times, like when you make a choice, you, you made my choice, right? You want to go, you want to go on timeout or you want to keep playing with your Legos, right? Mm -hmm. Make a choice. What you do right now, it's not my choice anymore because I need to uphold what God's called me to, to be is, is your father, right? And obviously police aren't <laughs> fathers, yeah, but sure. that same idea, like you have been charged with upholding the law, not choosing the law or changing the law, but upholding what the law is. When somebody makes a choice, they've made your choice in a lot of ways. Right. And I think that that's important for us as a society to understand is you guys aren't making the choice to come and get somebody when they break the law they've made the choice for you in a lot of ways if you're going to have like you're saying if you're going to have integrity as a law enforcement and carry out what your duty that's been charged to you um, you have a choice in how to handle it you have a choice in how to react to it how to approach it all those things but at the base root of it like my actions if i speed and a cop pulls me over it's not the cop's fault that I sped, right? It's right. I sped and I made the choice, which then made that cop's choice. Mm-hmm. If that cop is has integrity and in doing their job, their choice has been made. They're pulling me over and they're going to either give me a warning and a talking to or a ticket. 
but that you know what I'm saying it um, you when you don't many. have that that's so hard yeah as a society and and the hard the hardest part is getting people to acknowledge that mm. right yeah um, I don't know how many how many times uh, you know taking somebody to jail um, DUI or something of course DUI has such a wide-ranging impacts you know sure. on, yep. on driver's license and, and a person's ability to um, do certain types of work and, and yep. well uh, even affect gun privileges and stuff like that to want it sometimes uh, it's it's like possible. hunting and things it's, like it's, that it's depending po- on what it was it's possible um, but I heard so many times um, you know, why are you doing this to me yeah you know I can't believe you're doing this do yeah. you know what you're doing to me yeah and uh, you know, after a while, that gets that gets tiresome. Yeah. Um, but it, it's. I think that's a symptom of a, a the bigger, you know, problem with society is yeah. is lack of personal accountability yeah. and, and responsibility. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and the other thing that uh, you know you mentioned that substance abuse really is, uh, in in one sense, a root root cause of a lot of, um, you know, your department's interactions with. Uh, the citizens and, and those passing through, um, Sydney. Um, one of the things that I think the, you know, the body of Christ and the, the, as represented in the churches of, of this community, um, I feel like we, we do, an, an, I think in some cases, an okay job, but I think there's always room to improve, and that is yeah. helping those that uh, are dealing with those issues mm-hmm. uh, get the help that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that's not the role of law enforcement. That's a role of friends and family and yeah. of, of those individuals that are having a hard time, and you try to... Yeah. Uh, do you the best you can at, at get them into the right yeah. uh, right situations and you know you can you can say hey you know drugs are bad and it's it's difficult for you and you know it's, you, there's consequences to doing drugs yeah. and, and consuming alcohol when underage and all that yeah. stuff and and if some of the voices that are saying that are also seeing the next weekend out partying and mm-hmm. and consuming some of that stuff and acting in a dumb way and, and and then you know even being abusive to those that are around them whether it be friends or, or family yeah. or whatnot that really cuts the legs out from underneath of that message, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So it, it's not just what we say. It's not just uh, the banner on the billboard and, the, and, yeah. and you know, the, the text message that goes out, you know, that says, hey, you know, this is bad, avoid yeah. this. But it's it's really those of us in the community that are in positions of leadership. And that might just simply be the mom or dad in the home. Yeah. You need to live out those standards if you want your kids to be able to, yeah. to thrive in, mm-hmm. in society. And that's, in a lot of ways, where I see... Uh, the rest of the community needing to step up. It's not your guys' yeah. job to do that. It's our job uh, to hold each other accountable and yeah. uh, to the best of our abilities, uh, call each other on the carpet on some yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. Um, it's it's dangerous to have students uh, see teachers in the in the school say one thing on a on a Friday afternoon pep rally, and then mm-hmm. on a Saturday afternoon see them uh, at uh, mm-hmm. you know at a recreational site, guard site, or somewhere else uh, completely gone yeah. right. um, and, uh, and and being dangerous. I mean, it's yeah. we got to be consistent. Yeah. And that's a tough message to, to hear, but it's something that needs to be said and, and lived out. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, the, if you're going to talk the talk, you need to walk the that's walk right. kind of yeah. thing. And it goes back to um, one of my absolute favorite verses, 1 John 2, 6. Mm-hmm. Um, he that saith he abideth in him uh, ought himself also so to walk even yeah. as he walked. Yeah. And boy, that's convicting. Like, yeah. Am I doing it? If I say, if I say that I'm, yeah. I'm following him, yeah. am I walking like him? Yeah. Um, it's tough. It, it, it is, it is tough. Call. It's, it's an, it's an always, um, and the beauty of, is 
if we submit to him, he will empower us to do that. Absolutely. And, that, and that's really where the rubber meets the road is, yeah. are, we, are we trusting in his grace and his, yeah. uh, his um, leadership of us to mm. say yes to every step? And I think we can do that. But 100%. on our own, right. not possible. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you again for joining us on this podcast. I mean, we've tackled a wide array of different topics and yeah. subjects. Um, I just truly appreciate you joining us. Um, appreciate all that the police department and sheriff's department and state troopers and so on have done for this community and continue to do. I love that you are in leadership. Um, I know it's not an easy job. Um, I know it comes with its demands. They're just talking like there is no break, right? I feel that way yeah. as a pastor quite often is, and that's where humility and integrity and sure. things like that and admitting when you're wrong and, 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 and approaching that with humility too. Like I'm not going to get it right every single time, but to the best of my ability, I want to. But there is no like off switch. A lot of right. people think like you take off the uniform and you're done, just as you were saying. And, and, and as you said earlier too, Mark, like, how I live my life is going to impact how that uniform is seen as well. Yeah, yeah. And and I want to live that with integrity and uh, just highly respect that approach. Um, and uh, our guys in blue, man, you guys, you guys are truly on the front lines. And uh, I've been on the other side of, of you guys coming. You know, I've had a situation down in the alley here mm-hmm. with somebody trying to break into cars and calling and working with you guys. And, um, and I so appreciate how you how your men handled that situation, the care, the tenderness that you showed that that individual, because I was there for the whole show, right? Sure. And um, I was just I was struck by just the compassion your men had for this person who I came to find out was a repeat offender. This was not the first time; it was one of many. And um, the way your men talked to me and handled the situation with me and. Um, just uh, high integrity. It was obvious being done with integrity, being done with caring for a person, not just the stupidity that was happening, right? Bad choices. Sure. They were dealing with more than a bad choice. They were dealing with another human being. And um, man, that can be, I can just imagine that can be really tough and wearing, as you said, to be dealing with people that are doing a lot of bad things and lose sight that they're still a person. They still were created, again, as, as Christians, right? They're still created mm-hmm. by the same God that created me. Um, but man, the, the wearing. So um, appreciate you. We continually pray for you and your position and your department well, thank you. and the departments that you work with to to be our guardians. Man, that that word. You you just gave me the title for this podcast, <laughs> right? I've been, I was thinking and re, and you know what am I going to call this podcast when we when we put it up and there it is, our guardians, right? Like that's really a beautiful a beautiful picture that you painted on that. So um, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun, and I know we talked on some kind of heavy topics, but yeah, um, yeah just just really appreciate the opportunity to, to come and, and uh, participate. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess uh, as a longtime member of this community, I want to say thank you to uh, not only you but your predecessors and yeah. in uh, really doing the job of uh, guarding the, uh, the the peace of of Sydney uh, yeah. very well, and so. I would just encourage you guys to keep your head up, keep working hard. Yeah. We're definitely going to be praying, and I would encourage all listeners and uh, those that are viewing this podcast to, you know, spend a little time in prayer, whether it's for, uh, you know, Sydney, Montana, if this is where you uh, you live, or if you're in a different community, pray for your uh, police officers, law enforcement, mm-hmm. first responders, all of them. Uh, yeah. You guys are doing essential work uh, yeah. for our civilization. 
And yeah. uh, we want to make sure that you're covered and protected yeah. in that way. Amen to that. Amen. Well, thank you again, everybody, for joining us for Episode 9 of the Onward and Upward Podcast. Again, we want to help you move onward in your daily walk, upward in your relationship with Christ. Not an easy thing to do. Go to Philippians 3, 12 through 16. It's our verse that we have used to as the backbone of, of all that we want to accomplish with this with this podcast, and that God would make these truths plain to you. And uh, excited for where this is going. We hope that this isn't the only time we get to see Mark Craft on our podcast and look forward to that future. And uh, Thank you for joining us. Like, follow, and most importantly, share so that we can get this message of hope, love, joy uh, out to as many as we can. So that we can, as a body, move onward in daily walk and upward in our relationship with Christ. So until next time, see ya. God bless.